Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's Platinum Sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Enrique Dubugras, co-founder and co-CEO of Brex, a financial operating system for startups and growing companies with services including a charge card, cash management, and controls in a single account. Originally from Brazil, Enrique built a payments company when he was only 16, and in just three years, grew it to process over $1.5 billion in transactions. Shortly thereafter, he co-founded Brex along with Pedro Franceschi. In this interview, we talk about Enrique's story from entrepreneur to Stanford student to Stanford dropout and Brex founder, how he met his co-founder Pedro and their inspiration to launch Brex, their significant decision to make Brex a remote first company and what that means for them, the importance of company culture and some key lessons for fintech founders, and a whole lot more. And now join me in a great conversation with Enrique Dubugras. Enrique, thank you for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Really excited to have you here and happy to call you now a friend of Wharton. Can we start by hearing a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, happy to. So first, thank you for having me. Just a little bit of background. Originally, I'm born and raised in Brazil, just outside of Sao Paulo. And I started into tech because I started coding when I was young. I was around 12 and there was this game I wanted to play and it was a paid game. And I figured out if I learned how to code, I could play it for free. So that was kind of my initial getting into tech. And then after that, you know, I tried to, I then met a guy and I went to work for his startup and then tried to start my own startup until Last year of high school, I met my co-founder, Pedro, over Twitter, and we decided to start our first business in, you know, that actually worked in Brazil called Pagarme, which was like Stripe in Brazil, so online payment processing in Brazil. And then from that point on, we ran that company for three and a half years, you know, grew to 150 employees, pretty profitable, and then sold it to a larger merchant acquired called Stone, which is also Brazilian-founded, public in the U.S. now. Then moved to the U.S. and um, Went to Stanford for a few months and then dropped out to start Brex, which is what we're working on today. Why fintech? I mean, it sounds like you could have gone into any direction. Why did you decide to launch your first startup in Brazil in the fintech space? It was quite random, honestly. Like my co-founder, he was also a programmer since he was really young. And he was hired by Brazil's largest payments company, Cielo, to basically build their mobile app because... No one in Brazil understood about iOS security, and he was hacking iPhones since he was 12. So basically, he was into payments, and I had had bad experience like implementing payment methods. So it's just a pain point we saw, but we didn't know that much about it, honestly, before we started. And we were lucky that our first investor, which was the founder of Stone that ended up acquiring us, was a payments entrepreneur for a long time and kind of like thought us a lot of how the lay of the land, how things worked. Understood. So let's talk about Brex, right? Because now it's been a few years since you founded it, but not too long. You've now closed over $500 million in equity financing. You're clearly a 
well-recognized brand, not just in the U.S., but around the world. But take us back to the initial days, and perhaps you can tell us about what inspired you to launch Brex. So I think since our first business, Pagarme, we kind of always wanted to help businesses grow. And we saw in Brazil that a lot of business had a lot of trouble accepting payments and getting into the online economy. And at the same time, then reconciling them, they lost money all the time, lost sales. So we always kind of had this affinity to help merchants. And then when we got to Brex, we kind of wanted to keep working on that mission. And we say that our mission is to reinvent financial systems so every growing company can realize their full potential. And what that means for us is basically doing everything we can to build the best product to help companies succeed. And within the kind of like B2B financial services, let's put it like that, which is what we were working on in Brazil and Brex, we thought about many products to launch in the US and payment processing seemed to be well covered by Stripe and PayPal and others. And then we thought about a business bank account, but who would give their money to, you know, random Brazilians that try to start a bank. And so we looked at and, and credit cards seemed like a good first step. We also saw new bank in Brazil doing really well starting with credit cards, but in the consumer markets. So we're like, hey, maybe, you know, this is a good idea. So we started uh, Brex as a corporate card company, but the idea was always to keep building more financial systems that are integrated. Yeah, and sounds like you found product market fit quite early, which I guess has translated into your successful fundraising journey. Can you talk a bit about that angle of the business? I think for Brex, it was a little bit different with product market fit because like we went to our customers and we said, hey, if we can give you a card that gives you higher limits, no personal guarantee, better rewards and has better software that just like looks like all the other software you use, would you use it? And everyone's like, yeah, like, of course I'd use it. So, but the question was like, can we actually do that? It was pretty hard getting it off the ground. And then, but when we did, you know, I think as we predicted, it just started growing really, really fast in the segment that we found. I think investors got pretty excited about it. and. Basically, the way one investor described it, and this is when we were just a credit card right now, we have multiple products, but it's like a tax on Silicon Valley spending, which everyone knows that Silicon Valley is pretty good at spending. So it was a, a sound business model and business is really happy. We were helping them grow, helping them achieve their full potential. You know, and I think it, it just went from there. And you know, obviously now with the pandemic, there's an increased focus on unit economics. And given your low or no interest rates in some cases, uh, coupled with really good rewards, how do you balance that versus the interest that you have to pay yourself to your own lenders? Yeah, so Brex is a 30-day charge card, right? So you can't revolve, you can't keep a balance on Brex. And what that makes us is that because of that, we actually have much lower losses in industry because of that in our kind of like proprietary underwriting model. And then what banks would have absorbed as losses, we give back as rewards for our customers. But, you know, we have pretty stable unit economics, like credit cards are a good business, right? So, Yeah. And obviously, growing a company is not easy because you have to manage uh, a lot of things. How do you manage for talent? And once your new employees join Brex, what kind of culture can they expect? I think one of the key learnings we had from our first business is just how important it is to get smart people in the door. I think one of the things I learned more recently, actually, is that I used to think that companies were 100% about the people. So imagine if a company is like a graph. I used to think that the nodes of the graph 
are the most important piece. So the people doing it are the most important piece, but actually like the best companies, they can survive despite a lot of the people. And a lot of the internal knowledge and excellence is around the edges of the graph and basically the processes that the companies built and the systems that they built to kind of have their culture that could run with, you know, if you replace most people, it, it just still could run really well. And I think that that's the key role of like early leadership. So I think people say that the first 10 people you hire are going to multiply for the next 10 people and, you know, set the culture of the company. I would amend that statement. And I would say it's like, you're probably first 10 leadership hires that end up becoming a lot of times the first 10 become managers, but some cases at Brex, for example, they didn't. And we hired a lot of leaders early on. And those leaders, they kind of create the processes, create the culture, create the structure that years later, if they ever leave, like it stays. So it's incredibly important. Yeah. And I guess uh, it's a good time to talk about a recent announcement that you guys made. And, and that's that you went the digital first or remote first route, right? And, and this is... Correct. Yeah, this is certainly quite revolutionary for a company like Brex. Can you walk us through that decision making and, and what does this mean for the company? Basically, what it means is that we're going to be remote first and we're still going to have offices once COVID, you know, dies down a bit, but you're not going to be required to go. You're going to be able to basically work either from your home or from an office, wherever you choose to do as flexible as you want. You can never go to the office or you could go every day if you wanted. But the biggest thing is we're just going to assume that everyone at Brex is not in an office and all of our communication processes are going to build for that. So like all the way we do work, you know, our product development meetings and all the other processes, like the all hands, all assumes everyone is kind of like seeing from your own computer. And it was a really tough decision, right? Because even though a few companies like Square, Twitter, Shopify had announced they were going to do that, it's still quite risky. Like no huge companies were built entirely remote in the past. And maybe that's changing for the future, but it's still TBD. And then there's a lot of things that haven't adapted in a lot of ways people interact and create a sense of belonging, right? Like that, that are not remote. And we made a bet that all of those things would improve and we would find ways of solving all the issues with remote. And that the pros would outweigh the cons. And the biggest pros is basically access to global talent. We just hired an executive that lives in LA that wouldn't be willing to move to SF. We just hired a lot of engineers in Seattle, DC. We even hired someone in Wyoming. And we wouldn't be, have access to that talent before. And now it's kind of like talent first, location second, versus before it was location first, you know, talent second. And do you think this is going to fundamentally change the culture of the company going forward? Yeah, I think so. But I think that's a good thing. I'm one of those believers that culture is ever improving. I think, you know, a lot of people, they say, oh yeah, our culture was good back then, you know, now it's different. And I think for each stage of company, you do need a different culture and you're ever evolving. And I think that Rex culture will change from remote, but I hope for the positive. Now, obviously, COVID has had an impact on your plans and the fabric of the company is changing. How about the impact on your clients? I imagine you know, some of your clients have been in the front lines of what's happening by COVID. So for 
Our customers, I think we're pretty representative of the tech market. I think obviously some areas are highly impacted, right? Like travel and restaurants, and those are, are really tough. But some areas are actually growing a lot. So a lot of customers we have in e-commerce and collaborate and SaaS, they're doing the best they've ever done in their entire life. It's pretty similar to their general tech market, but I think most of our companies are online, right? And online first. So compared to the general segment of small businesses, small and medium businesses, where our customers are much better than the rest of the economy, just for most of them being online. So your clients know you or the market mostly knows you for your card, but it sounds like this is just the entry point, right? And it feels like you're well positioned to provide services that help improve the cash converting cycle and that tackle cash management issues for companies, basically non-credit consuming products. Is this the direction that you envision Brex moving to? Yeah, that's correct. Got it. And since we have a Latin American entrepreneur, tell us a bit about the Latin American entrepreneurial ecosystem. Do you follow the market and do you have any thoughts for the future of the Latin American tech ecosystem? Yeah, look, I have a few investments in LATAM, in Brazil specifically, that we keep track of, and we invested in a few funds there. And I think it's definitely much better than when I started Programmit seven, eight years ago. There's a lot more funding. The terms are getting a lot cleaner. There's a lot more engineers and executives that are seeing other startups and then you know learning from them and then going to start other companies, which I think is like super positive for the ecosystem. So I think all of that is very positive. I think the tough thing about Latin right now, at least Brazil, is the currency, right? Like you're going to raise capital and you can be do a terrific job, like hitting all your goals. But if the currency kind of like goes down, there's not much you can do. So I think that's some of the, the issues going on right now. But I think other, everything else is pretty good and pretty powerful. And I think in the long term, you know, I hope Latin is established as kind of like one of the tech superpowers in the world together, U.S. and China. Would you ever go back? Um, I would. I think I would. You know, I, I used to respond no, but I think with uh, COVID and remote work, I think there's that chance now I might go back more in the long term. Makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, so I <laughs> can't blame you. Erika, we have quite a few listeners who are in the process of building their own startups or they hope to do so in the future. Are there any reflections or, or lessons of entrepreneurship that you'd like to share with them? Mm, you'll have to give me some areas specifically. You know, there's like so much. How about fintech founders who are looking to start from scratch? Oh, yeah. So... I think a few learnings. So number one is the more you can bring software in-house, the better. I think that, you know, a lot of the bricks, at least competitive advantage comes from building all of our software from scratch and not using some of the traditional bank software vendors. I think some of the newer vendors like Marketa are like much better, but like besides that, you know, I would build everything else as much as possible in-house. And that's probably one big learning for us that generated a lot of like competitive advantage today. I think the second thing is to not lead with a strong credit product. I think, you know, if you look at businesses that had a non-credit product and, you know, if you look at Brex, we're a charge card, but most of our customers, they don't want a card because they want the credit behind a card. They usually are pretty well funded. They want the card because they want to pay for stuff, right? So the intent of the customer is not credit. 
And I think adding credit to that later is easier and, and better. I would like start a company in which one, it's not, you don't lead with credit and that you can get like high engagement because it's much easier to cross sell products if you're high engagement. So just to give two examples, right? Like Robinhood, you open your app every day for Robinhood. So it's pretty easy for them to cross sell you something because you're opening the app every day. If you get a student loan on SoFi, for example, like, you know, you got one student loan for your entire life. You're not logging into your SoFi dashboard every day to see what's new, you know? So you can definitely do some cross sell with lending, but I think ideally like having a high engagement, high transaction product, it's much, it's much better. Excellent. Well, Enrique, before we go, last question that we like to ask all of our guests, and that's to hear a bit about your hobbies and, you know, if there are any particular pastimes that, that you enjoy outside of Rex. You know, for a long time, I didn't have much outside of Rex. We're just working most of the time. But more recently, I started learning how to play the guitar, which has been really fun. I was in Brazil for a little bit during COVID and, uh, I got a guitar teacher there to just come and teach me. And, you know, I'm really loving it now. I'm not really good, though, but I'm trying to get better. Oh, well, maybe we'll be seeing the Brex band on Spotify later. That would be pretty cool. I'm also really big into scuba diving. So Great. Well, Enrique, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate the time and love learning about everything you're building. Congrats on, on the success. And we look forward to seeing a lot more from you and, and from Brex. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armaza.